This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Thank you for joining me. Merit pay has been an issue on the table in the United States for decades. Just at the turn of the century, uh, Michelle Rhee introduced a massive merit pay plan in Washington, D.C., in which teachers got a huge jump in salaries that leaped them into six figures for the first time in any major city in the United States. And she was able to ask teachers who were very low performing to leave. And she was able to reward the excellent teachers and to challenge teachers in the middle to get better. And lo and behold, the system improved. We've got a number of studies out there that show that what was attempted in the District of Columbia actually benefited students over the next 20 years. But very few school districts around the country have followed suit. You would have thought that when you have an innovation that however controversial it was when tried out in the first place, and there's no doubt that in Washington, D.C., Michelle Rees' proposals were not well received by the teachers union and there was plenty of controversy in the city, but nonetheless, when a proposal has turned out to be quite successful, when you look at it from the distance of 20 years later, you would think that school systems around the country would say that this is something worth adopting, and you would see a few of them at least uh, moving forward. But that has not been the situation. We have had almost no deviation from the standard salary schedule, which pays teachers according to the number of years of experience and the academic credentials that they receive. But Dallas, Texas is proving to be the exception to this pattern. In Dallas, Texas, they have introduced an evaluation program and a performance pay program that adopts some of the features of the DC program and introduces some innovations of their own. And it too appears to be quite successful, at least from the first glance that's been taken of this program by a group of economists from a variety of institutions around the country, one of which is uh, Eric Hanyashek at Stanford University and the Hoover Institution. And I'm very pleased to have uh, Eric Hanyashek with me on the Education Exchange today. Thank you, Eric, for joining me. It's always great to be back, Paul. Well, uh, Rick, I'm gonna call you Rick because that's what I call you in, 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 in less formal context. So uh, Rick, tell me, first of all, what actually was adopted in Dallas, Texas. What is it that you're uh, evaluating out there? Well, D Dallas did a number of things uh, almost simultaneously. They uh, dramatically changed the way they evaluated and paid the principals in all of their schools of Dallas. And then the following year, they dramatically changed the way they evaluate and pay their teachers. And it turns out that they had a very sophisticated evaluation system about both principals and teachers. From the teacher standpoint, it involved using test scores if they were available, but they're not available for large numbers of teachers. Uh, it involved a very sophisticated observational uh, protocol in which there were something like 10 or 12 random 
drop-ins by evaluators, the principal in general, evaluating the teachers, and it involved at least one more highly structured, longer evaluation, each of which had feedback to the teachers. And then it actually included survey information from students and or parents to add into this evaluation. And what they ended up doing was being able to essentially rank order all of the teachers in the district of Dallas and put them into different uh, proficient, uh, different performance bins from needing help to uh, very, very successful. Um, and they used the performance bins to determine entirely the pay system. So you mean they no longer are paid on, paid on the basis of experience, uh, how many years you've been working uh, in the system? Um, th that is correct. That's how it differs in from Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was essentially an add-on system to the old uh, existing uh, pay system. But in Dallas, uh, with some phase-in period uh, for each teacher, you, teachers couldn't lose money as it was being phased in, but they dropped the experience and degree component and relied much more on how the teachers were doing in the classroom. Well, that is different from um, from DC, although in DC, they too dropped the academic credential. You no longer get an extra bonus for simply having a master's degree. That's, that's, that's disappeared uh, in DC too, but the experience part of those payment thing is still in place out, out there. So yeah, so this is slightly different. And also you have this principal uh, thing in Dallas, which is an interesting innovation because uh, principals too get some kind of uh, performance pay. Absolutely. The principals are also evaluated on their performance and their pay is dependent upon uh, a very similar system of supervisory ratings and performance of their school in terms of test scores um, and parental survey information. Well, how do they make use of this new performance pay program to encourage better instruction in the most needy schools within the city of, of Dallas? I mean, we know that the gaps between the advantaged and the disadvantaged are massive nationwide, and I'm certain that's the same in, in Dallas. So is this an issue that they're trying to address with their performance pay plan? Absolutely. A part of it uh, dealt with particularly disadvantaged schools. They put in the principal and teacher evaluation pay system across the entire district but they were worried about two different factors. Um, one is that it might be more difficult to show that you're an effective teacher if you were in a school that had historically been doing very poorly with lots of disadvantaged students in a tougher work environment. And secondly, they were worried as many school districts are that lots of teachers didn't want to go to the schools where they were most needed, to the most disadvantaged schools. So they took, they put in place an incentive system to attract teachers and principals to these particularly disadvantaged schools. Um, so what they did 
they they picked the worst schools in terms of performance in the district that had been at the bottom of the scale. For and we say not the worst, but say the lowest performing because it, we can't be sure they're the worst schools, but the students are performing at the lowest level at these schools, right? Absolutely a, a good qualification, Paul. Yes, they picked the lowest performing schools that had been at the bottom for some time. They put in an effective teacher as measured by performance in, uh, beforehand in other schools and had the teacher of uh, the principal, the new principal that was put in, evaluate which teacher should be in that school. All of the existing teachers had to reapply for their job if they wanted to stay and anybody else in the district could apply. And what they got was um, for the principal, a signing bonus and then a subsequent performance bonus uh, over the year that they got each year. The teachers got an initial signing bonus and then they got an incentive pay that was based upon their prior performance. So unlike the standard way of trying to attract teachers to disadvantaged schools, they didn't give everybody the same amount of money to go there. They decided that they should give the best teachers the most money and less money to uh, teachers that were not quite as good. Um, so is this applied to the high schools or is this an elementary school uh, program? It applied um, across the middle schools and the elementary schools. We're evaluating uh, largely the elementary school portion of this. Um, but we tried to look at the um, basically the worst four elementary schools in all of da Dallas that got this program. It was called the ACE program or Accelerating Campus Excellence. And well, they're calling uh, schools campuses now. I guess that makes it easier to come up with something like ACE, huh? Oh, well, the, Dal um, Texas is traditionally talks about campuses. Um, I think it's the same as a school in our in our days, Paul, but uh, uh, they call them campuses. And there are actually two versions of this program, one that went into effect um, in 2016 and one that went into effect in 2018. Um, and uh, they put in fairly substantial bonuses, um, $2,000 to sign up, but the best teachers got $10,000 a year for teaching in these disadvantaged schools. Next best got 8,000. So how much is 10,000 in this context? So what would be, you know, when this was put in in 2016, would it, do we know what the uh, median um, teacher would get in in Dallas, I, I think it was around sixty thousand dollars. So they were talking about a fifteen or sixteen percent a year increase for just for being in that school, just for being in that school, and uh, and for and coming to the school as an effective teacher. Exactly, exactly, um, and it um, turned out to, oh. To, we could only evaluate three out of the four schools because one of the four schools was suspect uh, suspected of 
cheating on the test a couple of years prior so that we were a little bit worried about including them in the study. It really doesn't matter, by the way, we could include them or not. It doesn't matter in terms of our results. But uh -huh. but this is an interesting question about cheating that you just brought up because a lot of people have been very reluctant to pay for performance, especially if the performance is based on the tests that the students are taking, these statewide standardized tests, because the argument is made that if the teacher is gonna be paid on the basis of student performance, the teachers are gonna be preparing the kids assiduously for that test rather than yeah. for the things that they really need to learn. And what's more, they may be even helping the students answer the questions on that test. So do you have any yeah. sense of whether that's an issue in Dallas? Let me let me come back to that. Let me give you the, the first round answers and then I'll come back to it because we looked at that question directly in our analysis. So what we did was a very simple thing. We compared these lowest performing schools to the next lowest performing schools in Dallas. So that the lowest performing are slightly worse than the comparison group. But before the program went into effect, you could see that these uh, comparison schools followed exactly the same time path as our ACE schools. And then they gave these bonuses. And within two years, the ACE schools at the bottom in the ACE one program were almost at the uh, district-wide average for performance. They started at rock bottom. And in two years, they jumped to the district-wide average. Incredible uh, uh, gain. You might almost say literally incredible. How 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 much of a gain is that in terms of, you know, that a layperson can understand? Um, well, it's about three tenths of a standard deviation, which um, means that they're uh, moving up. Um, I guess about a year's of, worth of learning. Um, uh, it's about a year's worth of learning. Um, because the normal uh, rule of thumb is that a standard deviation of these test scores is three to four years of learning. Um, and yeah. one thing I, I didn't mention that I should have at the beginning, how did they do this? It turns out that offering incentives to good teachers gets them to move. In other words, teachers respond to incentives, which is something that some people want to uh, uh, downplay, but in fact, teachers care about the incentives that are offered. And so you went from a situation where there were basically no teachers in the top categories of performance in these A schools to one in which the majority of teachers were in the top three categories out of seven categories of teachers. And so you got teachers to move and they carried with them their teaching ability because it shows up in terms of student performance uh, when you look at how they do compared uh, to this uh, other group of schools that we used as the comparison group. 
Are these teachers more experienced? Do you know anything about it? What's the of the teachers who come in that are are uh, arriving at the school because of these bonuses? Uh, how many years of teaching have they had on average? Um, I don't have the average, but they're they're obviously they've been around at least a year, so you can measure their performance in prior years. They've also been evaluated by the principal. They apply and are interviewed before they can get into these schools. So they are a select group of teachers, um, but they- And you know, there's a lot of difference between a very beginning teacher in the first year and even in the second year and, and in the third year, that's when you see the greatest improvement. We know that from other studies. You see the greatest improvement in teacher performance in the first three or four years. So um, so probably no just by by requiring that you have to have data on their performance in other settings, it means you're going to be getting you know, teachers with three, four, five, six or more years of experience, probably. Well, you're you're getting more experienced teachers, but they're they're they stand out because as you know, um experience past the first few years doesn't add anything to performance. Um on average. Right. But but it, nonetheless, I think it's if you're so you probably are having fewer beginning teachers at these schools. Do, do you have any data yeah. on that? That how many well, there's no doubt about that because the the common um concern has been that um teachers like to uh move to schools that are where the kids are performing better. It's an easier job than teaching in these schools uh, with low-performing kids, often disadvantaged backgrounds and so forth. And so in most school districts, teachers are allowed to select into different schools based upon their seniority. So the more senior teachers tend to move to places where it's easier to teach, and then you fill the most disadvantaged schools with your uh, newest recruits. So all the new teachers tend to go be placed in uh, the most disadvantaged schools. Well, here you've got something different because you induce uh, more effective teachers to come in. Um, all right. So now let's go back to this question I posed earlier. Which no, is, no, no, you're not there yet. You're you not have there. to tell me some. You're dodging I, I this. Have question. You, I have to tell you. Cheating question. That must be a tough question because you're dodging it. No, no, I, I have to tell you two more little facts about what happened with the ACE program. Uh, first, um, I said that there were two different versions of the ACE program that took an, the next level of schools in terms of their historic performance and added them into the ACE program. They showed precisely the same gains in the first two years that the uh, ACE-1 program showed. So. This wasn't a fluke and wasn't special to these first uh, three schools we evaluated. It held up in the next four, I believe it was, in the second ace. But after the fourth year of this program, or after the third year of the program, during the fourth year, uh, the school district was concerned that they were uh, spending more money in the ACE-1 schools, and also the performance had grown, so, they, so they could no longer be identified as the most disadvantaged schools. So they eliminated most of the incentive pay for teachers, uh, 
uh, sort of hoping that, well, they're in a better environment and everybody would be happy to be there. Well, it turns out that many of the effective teachers then just picked up and left when the incentives went away. And People don't like to have their salary cut. Uh, one of the basic rules of compensation is don't cut anybody's salary because you're going to get slapped in the face if you do. <laughs> so they really actually, this is such a smart school system, and they cut people's salaries. What in the heck is going on at the leadership level? Well, um, I, I can't speak to all of the complicated decision making at, at um, district headquarters, but I can tell you that uh, scores in the most disadvantaged ACE-1 schools fell immediately after they took away the incentives. So it really is a huge component of incentives to get people to come in who are noticeably more effective. Okay, now back to your question. Yes, um, cheating. Um, have is this all just that they taught to the test or maybe even helped on the test? It turns out that you can look at performance in uh, the sixth grade, which is out of the elementary schools in Dallas. Um, so they're, they've moved to a new school and look at how the kids who have been in the ACE program did when they went into sixth grade. If they'd only had the ACE uh, treatment for one year, in other words, they're at the end of the elementary school when the program came into effect, their performance in seventh grade wasn't noticeably different than those who, who got to the seventh grade from other schools. But after two years, you could see that they retained some of this higher performance and outperformed students who came from other schools. And even more so those who had had the ACE program for three years. So there is the dosage effect that the longer they're in this program, the more you get out of it. And it might be uh, well be that it's easier to change sort of short run things that are being tested as opposed to the deeper learning that we're hoping that these schools are providing. Yes, it's uh, it's interesting and helpful, uh, illuminating data, uh, but it may be that those students in seventh grade are just better test takers because they've been groomed to be a a good test taker uh, in in this uh, setting. The modern accountability system leads everybody to be groomed at test taking. That that's uh, um, they might be. Uh, drilled on particular subject matter for tests, but they're also uh, taking tests since the third grade at least. And actually they take an earlier test in Dallas um, so that they've had a lot of practice at taking these tests. Well, this sounds like a great program, but you're really talking only about seven or eight schools here. So is this really something that's comparable to what uh, happened in D.C. where they introduced a uh, merit pay program, performance pay program that was uh, district-wide, and uh, we've now looked at the consequences over quite a substantial period of time. Mathematica has done a recent study that's shown that, uh, you know, those that, that program has had a long-term impact that seems very positive. Well, so we, skipped, we skipped the results about the 
um, whole district and how that did when they introduced the merit pay program. And it, it's a hard problem to evaluate because you have one system that's all put in place in, in a given year and everybody gets the same uh, pay and evaluation system. But what we did was to compare Dallas school performance to comparable schools in high poverty districts around the state. So we went to the 20 uh, most uh, highest poverty districts, large districts in the state of Texas, and we selected comparison schools for all the Dallas schools. And we can show that uh, <clears throat> these comparison schools and the Dallas schools all fall along a horizontal path of performance that's three-tenths of a standard deviation below the state mean. You put in the place the principal evaluation initiative and the teacher evaluation initiative, and you see over the next four years that the average performance of Dallas schools um, grows relative to this comparison set of schools. And again, uh, by the end of four years of evaluation, Dallas looks like it's coming much close, very close to the statewide average, as opposed to the comparison schools that are still down three-tenths of a standard deviation below the state average. Now, is this equally true in reading and math, or do you get differences depending on the subject? Well, um, as we found in almost every study I've ever seen, math performance is more sensitive to the schools and the teaching and the effectiveness of, of individual teachers than reading, so that you get a uh, muted response uh, in terms of reading, but you get the same pattern. Uh, both for the ACE program and for the entire uh, school district, you get improved performance in reading uh, with ACE and with the program. When, how about the elementary versus the middle school? Generally speaking, it's easier to bring about change at the elementary level than at the middle school level. Do you see something similar here or or is that not the case? Well, the the evaluation of the entire district goes for um, test scores through the eighth grade. So we've got them included. Now, there might be some mixture. Uh, but my view is very simple. You build upon what you learned in the past. And if you can, in fact, improve the, what people learn in elementary schools, it makes them better off when they go into middle schools. And that... Uh, performance in middle school depends upon what you learned prior. Well, if you look nationally at the NAEP data, you see that over the years, you you have some pretty uh, uh, some pretty substantial gains at the uh, fourth grade level or the nine year old mm -hmm. level, but they tend to be not so great a jump upwards at the eighth grade or or uh 14 year old level or 12 year old and, level so when they go they go away at age 17. right right so it doesn't necessarily be it's not necessarily the case that if you improve it 
uh, in the early years that that can be sustained all the way through. So do you have anything in your data that shows one way or the other in this situation? Well, so this is a, this is a hard problem that I don't think we've solved. Um, what you're really talking about is um, how, how much variation is there in knowledge? And we have some test score measures that have various characteristics of measuring what people actually know. Um, there's some other work that I think suggests that um, the variation in, in knowledge across people grows over across the school years. Um, you see that in terms of earnings performance and things like that. But this really depends upon uh, test construction and test construction really doesn't emphasize how much do people know. It emphasizes um, uh, variations in performance across kids. Yeah, so where do you go next with your research, Rick? Um, what what well, do you see as the next step? Well, there's an obvious place to go. It turns out that uh, Mike Miles, who was the superintendent who invented the Dallas program and put it into place, uh, actually left Dallas right as the um, teacher program was to, was taking effect. Um, he, in May of this year, was appointed the superintendent of the Houston School District. The state of Texas took over the operation of the Houston School District, and he was appointed by the Commissioner of Education in uh, Texas to run that system. He is working very rapidly to bring in what he learned from Dallas into Houston. Not exactly the same, but he's modifying it and bringing it into play and is uh, working dramatically, uh, working hard to dramatically change the worst schools in Houston. There's a collection of schools that are identified as most needy of help. And he is working very closely with them to try to put in a similar kind of system uh, in now a, a larger school system. Houston is larger than Dallas. So will this give you an opportunity to see if this can be replicated in a different context? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there, there's still a question. We don't see it uh, picking up, as you mentioned in your introduction, in the other 13,500 school districts of the nation. It's not just being jumped upon across the nation. Um, and so it leads to the question, is this all individuals like Michelle Ree and Mike Miles, or is it the institutional structure? And that's going to take a little bit more work to figure out whether we can uh, replicate the institutions. Well, um, and it's especially obvious uh, here, and because in Houston, uh, it took a, a state takeover of the school district to uh, actually bring in the leader necessary to uh, put into place this, this program. So it well, almost makes you wonder whether school boards are the problem. Are, are school boards so reluctant to try new ideas that you just can't get 
policy innovation at the school district level? Well, school boards are obviously complicit in in this. Um, and there are various forces of inertia. It's partly union pressure, but Texas doesn't have collective bargaining. They have unions, but no collective bargaining. But there's a lot of inertia in all the school systems uh, that's not just uh, union pressure. But um, there's a, another program that we haven't evaluated that I think is important. The state of Texas, three or four years ago, passed a new school funding law um, called HB3, House Bill 3. And it had a component in it that had a pot of money that could be allocated to other school districts in Texas that developed sensible evaluation systems that identified which teachers were doing well in the classroom and which weren't, and then paid the most effective teachers to go into disadvantaged schools. So they've been actually running this with some other school districts picking it up. I'm not quite sure today of how many have, have done this, but there are a number of school districts that said, oh, well, if there's money there, maybe we should try to do it and are attempting to put in place a local version of the Dallas or Houston system. Well, it will be interesting to see whether those are meaningful policy implementations, because with the race to the top, a lot of states promised to put into place a performance pay program and districts are asked to do it. But what they once they implemented it, it was such a weak intervention that nobody's been able to identify any uh, significant consequences of the policy. So I think it's one thing to say you're doing it, and it's another thing to actually do it. Well, this goes back to what you mentioned in your introduction. We, school districts have been trying some version of merit pay for uh, decades now, and it hasn't worked. But most of these interventions were small scale, small amounts of money, um, and they were necessarily temporary. They weren't permanent uh, changes in the structure the way Dallas is. And so, and and similarly to what was promised under Race to the Top, wasn't obvious that there was much money there for any uh, state or school district. And on top of that, it wasn't obvious that it would continue into the future. Um, so <clears throat> you've got all these different dimensions kicking around that make it complicated to be absolutely certain about what would happen with changed schools. Uh, but I should say that I'm frankly very positive on what we've seen in Dallas and what Houston looks like it's doing. Uh, so I'm optimistic. So you may be optimistic, but right now, uh, in the wake of COVID, we've seen a remarkable decline, and you've written about this remarkable decline in student performance. We just got uh, just this week a uh, report from um, the um, testing service uh, uh, that uh, looked at uh, college readiness, and we saw a further drop which extends a drop that precedes 
COVID, but continues and is uh, accentuated by the COVID and the closure of schools and so forth. Um, so um, how is, well, so let me ask you first this question. Is all of your data from the pre-COVID period, or are you able to talk about how all of this intervention interacted with the COVID uh, event? Our Dallas evaluation is entirely pre-COVID. Um, and it's clear that COVID had huge implications for the whole nation and for many school districts. It varied quite systematically across states, by the way. Utah seemed to have escaped the pandemic pretty well. And uh, Delaware and Oklahoma look awful in terms of the learning losses that kids suffered. But picking up on, on the um, part of your comment, the decline in our test scores actually began uh, earlier before the pandemic. And the testing that's done, been done by our national assessment starting in about 2012 and particularly in 2015 started falling down so that lots of the losses are not completely attributable to COVID. My own view is that's when we started changing accountability practices in the US. We did away with the old hated no child left behind and we introduced something called Every Student Succeeds Act, um, which loosened up on the use of test-based accountability quite a bit. And my own uh, interpretation of the data is that this was not a good move. Well, uh, that's a discouraging note, and I don't want to end on that. So I'm going to I'm going to bring you back to what you said just a minute ago, which is that this plan that has been attempted in Dallas has some interesting features to it that might make it more appealing to other school districts. One of which is nobody has to take this money. Nobody has to go into this program. You can get a big salary increase if you choose to move to this other school, but it's up to you to decide to do it. So maybe we need to think of how can we make and also that was true in DC, you didn't have to go into this new uh, program. You could be, you could, you could uh, decide to stay in the old program. So maybe the solution is to develop performance pay plans where individual teachers can decide whether or not they want to participate in that kind of a program or not, but make the rewards of participating pretty substantial. And then you would get the kind of, uh, cooperation from the teaching profession that uh, uh, is necessary for this to be effective. I think you've hit on a very important point. Um, I'm personally, maybe by my training as an economist, uh, I'm personally inclined to look at incentive programs as opposed to regulatory programs. So that things like HB3 in Texas uh, allowed individual districts based upon their own capacities and their own uh, needs to design their own systems. They didn't have to put in place exactly the Dallas system. 
Um, and same with teachers of providing incentives and voluntary adjustments of individuals. Um, economists believe that people respond to incentives a lot and that in general, you can get better outcomes than trying to regulate certain things that you think are the best answer. So Rick, this is a fascinating study. Uh, where can our listeners obtain a copy of the study so they, they can find out if you're really telling the truth here? Well, a very simple way is to come to my website, which is simply www.hanashek.stanford.edu. And the, both studies of the overall evaluation in the ACE program are readily found on that website. Well, thank you very much, Rick, for joining me on the Education Exchange. This is Paul Peterson. We release an Education Exchange podcast on the Education X website on Mondays each week at noon Eastern time.